as we begin, um, I want you to start this morning asking you to envision a few things. I want you to start this morning using your imaginations. First, who is someone in your life that you wish knew Jesus? Someone who would might believe in Jesus, someone who right now, maybe they believe but are very far from Jesus. It could be a neighbor, it could be a child, it might be a mom, a dad, a grandparent nearing the end of their life. It might be someone you've had lots of conversations with about, about or around the topic of the church, around Jesus. It could be someone who left the faith after seemingly tasting the goodness of it, as the writer of Hebrews describes. It could be someone with whom you haven't had a single conversation. Perhaps it's too difficult or too painful. You, you know where they stand in relationship to Jesus or the church, and you're waiting, praying. Perhaps you haven't even prayed. You don't even know what to pray, or if you can pray about it, because to pray about it seems to open up something you're not quite ready to bear. The potential that this person who you love might be, as they are now, separated from God for eternity. Who is this person? What is their name? Hold them right now in your thoughts. Second, I want you to picture someone with whom you have had conflict, unresolved conflict perhaps. The the pain of the relationship has broken it. It might be broken by something they did or you did. Maybe they hurt you or they hurt others you love or maybe you hurt them. You said that thing that finally pushed them away for good. The conflict could be full of heat, and it could be fresh, or it could be old, cold, now mostly lifeless because of time or distance. Or maybe to someone with whom the conflict is just always present. You're with them now, living with them, always near them. You see them whenever family or friends gather It's always tense or awkward, maybe not for them, but for you, and you can't seem to see things the same way or get get onto the same page. You're waiting for them to apologize, and you're still in very real pain and hurt. Who is this person? What is their name? Hold them in your thoughts. Okay, now let's push back from those micro-relationships to something more macro. When you think about the world right now, the church right now, what are you most ashamed about related to her right now? Perhaps it is our world's rejection of Jesus, the the ways of Jesus, the things that the church has borne upon the world. If you read Tom Holland's book, Dominion, you see just how consequential the people of Jesus have been informing and shaping the world. And you lament 
in some ways, the loss of that world. The world that you and I live in largely rejects this Jesus, and the people of Jesus seem so full of failure, so full of idolatry. Our idolatry seems so great that we seem to call evil good and good evil, right along with our culture. And you are lamenting this. You see the reality that in America, at least, or the Western world, that the most segregated hour is the Sunday hour. And when you think about this, you are full of sadness and full of shame. It seems to tear us apart. Or maybe you look around and there are people that who were once here in this building and are no longer here. And the reason, at least in part, seems to be that in the pressures of this moment in time, we've been ripped apart. Like a thread hanging loose at a seam that has been pulled and there is this small hole, a fissure. That hole is now an emptiness that you feel that is both personal, because you don't see this person in the seat next to you, but you also feel it because it hovers over Christ's church as a whole. It is a whole that seems to get bigger and bigger, both as you peer out at the world, the culture that you don't understand or who doesn't understand you, or you feel the tension and the pressure of division that fills the whole of Christ's church. We are divided. I want you this morning to hold that anxiety, that shame, that sadness very close. Now, when you think about these particular people, these larger rifts or schisms, the question I have for you this morning, is there any hope for repair? Is there any hope for redemption, salvation, renewal? Like as you sit, where you sit this morning, as you envision those people with names, as you think about the wider world and culture, do you think that it can change? Can the son or daughter return? Can the addict find rescue from their addiction? Can the church truly be a multi-ethnic, multicultural place of love and mutuality? Can your friend believe in Jesus? Can you be restored to your parents, to your spouse? Can the rift and divide that has filled the church since at least 2016 be healed? Friends, do you hope? Can you hope? And how does this hope manifest itself right now, this Sunday, in your life? When you think of this person with that name, And the larger divide, that like that string on that shirt, that thread that nags at us every day. Now, I want you to know as we start, Christian hope 
is not sentimental. It isn't a wish for good fortune, that things might end well. Hope isn't vague even. It isn't some non-personal belief that there's a purpose in all of it. Hope, as we see in verse 13 of our text this morning, is an affirmation about the nature of God. This God that we gather to worship is a God of hope. This God of hope, according to Paul, enables all who believe, all who bank on this God of hope, all who trust in this God of hope, to themselves then overflow with hope. So, when you think of that person, what's their name? Do you overflow with hope? Now, I don't think it is easy. In fact, I don't think it is in and of itself humanly possible because I think this is a supernatural thing that the God of hope does. He fills us with all joy and peace in believing through his Holy Spirit, and that is supernatural. And there's no technique for acquiring this belief other than in the supernatural activity of God in the world. And this is Paul's aim. Why should you hope? Well, look at how God has gone about accomplishing his purposes. That's Paul's answer. How should you hope? I'm struggling with hope. I don't know if I hope. Look to God and all that he's done to accomplish his purposes. I want you to be grounded this morning in the particulars and not just hoping in some untethered, ethereal kind of thing that isn't linked to the ground. Paul has riffed for the last couple of chapters anyway, on the strong and the weak. He ends this section. Just as the Messiah has accepted them, the strong or the weak, whoever you are, remember this church is full of people who are strong and weak. That's not a designation about how good or bad we are. It is just a classification of what our consciences are sensitive to or not sensitive to. He says, as he ends this, this riff on strong and weak, just as Messiah has accepted them, the strong or the weak, the stronger or the weak are to accept one another. Saying in verse 7, welcome one another just as Jesus has welcomed you. Accept your non-eating, non-drinking, Passover-keeping brother or sister. Accept your eating and your drinking and your non-Passover-keeping brother and sister just as Christ has accepted you. Now I think it's a little easy for us to kind of back off here of the people you have in mind and lose sight of those particular people or the rifts and divides that we currently have, thinking that those rifts and divides are much bigger than what Paul's talking about here. But I want to bring us back that the divide Paul mentions here are the biggest of divides. They deal with practices, with traditions, with the basics of eating and drinking and partying, the warp and woof of daily life together. They are divided over ideals about how to exist in the world together and the particulars of eating and drinking together, and those divides are great. And yet, as Paul says, welcome one another as you have been welcomed. Embedded in this great divide between God and us is we were once enemies, Paul said. We were so cut off from God. 
Paul says in Romans 1, Jews had the law and didn't obey the law. And Gentiles didn't have the law and suppressed the truth of God in their consciences and chose to worship the creature instead of the creator. And they've all fallen short of God's glory. And yet, Paul says, God welcomed them. God made room for them. God accepted them. How? Well, on the basis of Jesus, the divide, the separation, the fact that they didn't acknowledge God or come to them, the fact that they made idols and worshiped them instead of God, the fact that they neglected the poor, the widow, the orphan, they didn't do justice, couldn't stop God from filling the divide between them and God. So why should you hope? Because God's welcomed you. And if God welcomed you, then you too can come to a place of welcoming the people you are holding in your mind. Now let's keep going. Paul continues. Here is why you can have hope. God welcomed you. God's plan from the beginning of time was the welding together of Jew and Gentile into the grand purposes of God. If this divide is great, God intends to weld together the fissure. At the beginning of COVID, I took my motorcycle to a friend. Uh, his name is Sevi. He was doing some work on my bike. I was preparing for a trip with my dad, and I discovered in the preparation of that trip that the frame in my bike had developed a crack. Now, this is obviously bad for any bike or car. I mean, driving along a road at a high rate of speed with a cracked frame between your front tire and your back tire on a bike can result in significant injury or death. And it was like the early COVID days, and so we're in Sevy's garage, and Sevy is coughing and hacking and fixing my cracked frame, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die of COVID in the, this garage. But with great heat and skill, he seared together the metal at a point of the crack, making it stronger than it was before. Now, Paul says God's faithfulness to Israel is seen most visibly how? In who? In Jesus, the Messiah. Remember, Israel hoped in the Messiah. Messiah, Christ in Greek, the anointed one of God who would come and heal the great fissures of the world, the great cracks of the world that Israel was experiencing. Paul here places the local conflict of Rome, of strong and weak, of Jew and Gentile, against the backdrop of what? This particular small conflicts he places against the backdrop of what? The history of redemption. Why? So this church might have hope. So that this church might be prompted by the history of redemption to obey and might with joy worship with their strong or weak brother or sister, their Jew or Gentile friend or neighbor, that they might worship together and thus fulfill those very promises of God. When Gentile believers deliberately flex, bend in their freedom and extend love and hospitality to their Jewish believing friends, they are welcoming them and giving praise to God and exercising the very off fruit of redemption. Paul points to Jesus' work on behalf of the nations, a work that is first fulfilled 
for Israel through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, when God chose Abraham, a a moon worshiper in Ur, when God calls him out and promises to make him into a great nation, he says that he, God, will bless Abram, and Abram will turn into Abraham so that he might be a blessing to the wider world. And so the unity of Jew and Gentile in this local Roman church, don't miss this, Theology, the theology of the story of Israel way back to Abraham, becomes the point that Paul is making for this Roman church to live out the culmination in the unfolding drama of redemption, where salvation comes to the Gentiles only as it comes through the Jews with the gospel. Verses 8 and 9, look, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on God's behalf, of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And here Paul slips back into the first person singular, I tell you, to make an authoritative pronouncement. This time about the Messiah, Jesus, is the climax of the story, Paul says, the way which, through which God has opened up a way for the Gentiles to join the renewed people of God throughout history. Like for nearly 2,000 years, the promise lays in wait. The promise cocooned around Israel. The promise then comes through Israel to the rest of the world. The Messiah became a servant in order, Jesus became a servant in order to make good on what God had promised to Abraham. And this is why You and I, when we hold these people in our mind, when we hold these situations in our mind currently, should have hope. What is at stake is God's fidelity to what he said he would do in giving to Abraham dependents as numerous as the stars. God has always intended to create a worldwide family through Israel. Rescuing Gentiles wasn't an afterthought. It was part of the divine purpose. God, in bringing the Gentiles into faith, is that they would praise God for what? For his mercy. And the result of Jesus, the Messiah's ministry, and Paul's ministry as a minister to the Gentiles is that the Gentile idolater would become a true worshiper of God. That they would experience God's mercy, God's kindness, God's favor, and by experiencing that through Israel, would be transformed. And so the gathering of the Gentiles into the one people of God through the saving action of Jesus is and was the point. And so isn't it unthinkable For Roman Christians to hold prejudice against their Christian brother or sister. For Gentile Christians to despise Jewish Christians, for they are the ones to whom the Messiah came to serve. Jewish Christians should not judge Gentile Christians, for he has brought them into God's mercy that they might be praisers of God's glory. And the Messiah accepts each group, and God approves of them as his servants. And in response, they must show acceptance of each other. So when you think of all the brokenness in your world, the brokenness of those relationships, the conflicts that you have, the conflicts that seem to sit in God's church, 
Are you banking on the God who welds those things together? Who intends to do this today in you? Who intends to do this today to your lost friends who are lost from God? To the great divides that seem to fill our church in this moment? Paul confirms this with four citations from the Old Testament. The first is drawn from the law, Deuteron- or that's actually the second, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Then two from the Psalms, Psalms 18, 49, and Psalm 117, 1, as well as 2 Samuel 22, 50. And from the prophets, Isaiah eleven ten. Paul says, as it is written, this is the repeated refrain of these few verses, through these texts, which in a sense summarize Hebrew scriptures, Paul is making the same point. God is weaving together Jew and Gentile through Jesus the Messiah. And this is the good news of the gospel. Don't miss this. We often think that the good news of the gospel is for me individually, that my sins have been forgiven, that Jesus died for me. That is not just the, that is one singular point One little sliver of the diamond of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that King Jesus, the king of the whole world, is bringing together Jew and Gentile for the purpose of his glory. And so first, in Psalm 1849 and 2 Samuel 22.50, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Here the Messiah is the one who prays in this psalm. When he experiences the vindication of God, he leads the Gentiles in a chorus of praise for the salvation and mercy shown to the true king, the Messiah, the forever seed of King David. And Paul's focus is on the mission to the Gentiles. The Gentiles obey the Messiah as king and follow him in worship. Now, for us, this is really hard to see But the thought of that in Israel, for in their day, as they would sing these songs in worship, was a shocking song to sing. It was built in hope. It was something that wasn't being experienced in the moment by the people of Israel. The Gentiles weren't being gathered by Israel. Israel was rejecting them. So when you think about your friend who doesn't worship Jesus, who doesn't see him as king, when your friend thinks they are their own, that they must make their own meaning and claim their own story as the divining story of their lives, why should you hope? Because God has brought the Gentiles who knew not God nor worshipped him into such faith and enjoyment of God that when Messiah is vindicated as king, they too are vindicated and saved. Now this might not seem like much, but I want to remind you of the amazing work of God that this is. Have you maybe heard of stories of people, maybe talk to the Watleys, ask them when the Lord opened up the eyes of one who had never heard the name of Jesus. This is where we'll go next week, by the way. But ask them, what was that like? This is why we hope. The supernatural God who vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead can even work in the person whom you hold in your heart right now. 
And maybe, friends, this morning, you are that person. Wondering if you can believe the gospel. Maybe you're hoping that belief might be possible for you. The very fact that any non-Jew, which is most of us in this room, believes in this Jewish message about the gift of grace is a supernatural act of God unfolding the promise of God bound up in Jesus as Messiah. Second, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Here Paul shares the idea of God's dramatic rescue of the Jewish nation by atonement for their sins and judgment on their enemies. Gentiles are invited to rejoice with Israel for the salvation that God has wrought, not just for them, but for the whole world. The Gentile world is enabled to join Israel in the worship of the one true God. And they do this, why? Because of God's mercy. So why should you hope for the return of a lost relationship? Because God is a merciful God, and that God loves to show you mercy. Do you need mercy? Hope. Because God delights to show mercy. Third, Psalm 117.1, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. This short two-verse psalm is an example of the nature of Israel's worship and calling the nations to praise Israel's God. Israel's God is the creator God, not a tribal God. As he is creator, he is worthy of worship by all of the human race, a human race that has largely, according to Paul, suppressed the knowledge of this God as creator. Why should you hope? God loves to open the eyes of the blind and receive worship from those who are dead in their blindness and sin. That's the God you worship. Fourth, Paul quotes Isaiah 11.10. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will have hope. The root of Jesse a title for Messiah. This Messiah, like a shoot, will rise up in rain. I've been trying to kill weeds all throughout my yard all week. And when the desert, like, gets rain, right? Shooting up everywhere that wasn't there at all before July. Hear this. God's purpose is that God rescues Israel from exile, preserves a remnant of Israel, and then rallies the nations around it. How? The Messiah invites Gentiles into a new kingdom. Remember, this is said in the face of the empire of Rome, who is attempting to offer such a promise to the peoples of the world. But who does it only through subjugation and violence? No, Messiah does this as a suffering servant, willingly subjecting himself to the powers so that the powers by would be undone. There is no more need for power and winning because Messiah does this by laying down his life and losing his life. And the way of Messiah is a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying. A mustard seed that is implanted and takes over the whole garden. The root of Jesse is a shoot of a dying Messiah who has been raised. 
So friends, when you think of the great divides that shape our current moment in Christ's church, why should you have hope? Because King Jesus took a remnant from Judah, returned them to the land, and from the people came the root of Jesse, and that root has produced a fruit that now fills the whole world, even as empires rise and fall and promise similar things. The kingdom of Jesus does this how? Through death and resurrection. Not even death is death to you, oh God. So this is why we can have hope. And that leads to the benediction, verse 13. May the, we've been saying this, you should know it. Every Sunday as we've gone through Romans, this has been the benediction, benediction pronounced over you. The good word. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you as God's people might abound, be full of, be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How can you hope? How can you hope this morning for the people you hold in your hearts? Look to the activity of God in bringing salvation to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Look to the activity of God who brings life through death. Look to the activity of God in bringing Jesus our common and constant hope. This objective work assures you of the future work. Hope in the anticipation is the anticipation of a future salvation, the hope of glory, even in the middle of the trials and afflictions of your current moment. The sign that hope in faith has taken root is the joy and the peace that you experience in in the midst of life. This week, I got a message from Rita DeLuna. This is David DeLuna's mom. David was a part of our church. He died in late June. He's 22. His body was returned last week, and they were finally able to lay him to rest. In the midst of this great trial... Listen to this hopeful letter from David's mom. Dear Pastor Justin, when I think of the conversations I had with David, especially the last few months he was here, the city press folks would always be mentioned. He felt very loved and welcomed in the city press that he insisted, Noel and I, at least extend our stay to Sunday, July 24th, so we can further meet his family in Albuquerque. That was when we were planning to drive to New Mexico on July 18th, as he would have start his first day of work on July 25th. He was very proud of all of you. He would have talked about potluck fellowship, how families would invite him over for dinner, or of the time he got sick and some church family brought him food. He loved the the conversations with all of you. Thank you for loving my son so well. And thank you for extending that loving care to us in our time of great sorrow. The flowers for the memorial service that City Press family sent to us meant a lot to us. We felt the love and comfort of Christ through your prayers and love. Please extend our love and heartfelt thanks to the City Press family 
It's no wonder that David didn't feel homesick at all when he was there. I never even heard him complain. I praise God that David was surrounded by people who loved the Lord while he was there. This is why you should hope. Because David DeLuna and Noel and Rita DeLuna, who have been deeply leveled by the loss of their son, and yet who hope in the power of the gospel to raise David up on the last day, who hope in the power of the gospel that through the story of their son, many might flock to Jesus, who hope in the power of the gospel who makes room for a young, quiet, single young man moving to a new town, searching for a place to be known and for a people to know. God brings life In such moments, God supernaturally works in places where things are dark. God's God's health deep divides through the self-sacrificing act of forgiveness, as well through the painful act of discipline and peacemaking and confrontation. Because God's love covers a multitude of sins. So who helps us to love across difference? Who models it? Who saves outsiders? Who delivers insiders? Who? It's Jesus. And this is why Paul writes Romans. And this is why you and I, when we think of those people we hold in our heart that are far from Jesus, that we're in deep conflict with, this is why the deep cracks that seem to cut through our church, Jesus' church, can be healed. That's why those people can be saved. That's why the conflicts can be restored. Because of Jesus. And that's why you can hope. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would make us a people of hope. You would fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that City Press might be a people that overflows in hope. God, we lift up these people that we are holding right now in our hearts. Their names, even now, church, even now, whisper that name, those names to the Lord. He hears you. Lord, Hear these names. And even as we utter them to you, give us hope that you are a God who can restore. You are a God who can redeem. You are a God who can renew. You are a God who can seal up, weld up, big old broken fissures, schisms, cracks, and make it new better than before. And for any of us that are here this morning struggling to believe, we pray that you, by the Spirit, would supernaturally push us into deeper belief. In the midst of death, bring resurrection. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Amen.